0: Hello romance book lovers, oh, welcome to Tales from the Heart. I'm Jenna Hart and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now we're listening to Old Flames Never Die, book two of The Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode four, chapters seven and eight, where Tess makes an important decision about her and Jack's relationship. Now, if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying direct from me. You can visit jennahart.com forward slash valentine for more information on where you can get the book. Now, Old Flames Never Die is the second book in the series. So if you missed book one, Deadly Valentine, you can listen to that by checking earlier episode postings. Or if you'd like to read it, you can get Deadly Valentine for free at my website, jennahart.com. Now, Tales from the Heart is posted to podcast platforms and YouTube each week. These episodes are edited to censor out any intimate content. If you'd like to have a version that includes all those spicy bits, plus early access to the episodes, behind-the-scenes information about stories, bonus content, and more, you can join me over at Ream Stories. Learn more at reamstories.com forward slash Hart. Now never miss the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button and remember that all the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description below. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show.
1: Chapter 7 Mrs. Schauffer cheerfully announced Tess's arrival. One nice thing about Jack working in Jefferson Tavern was that his secretary here liked her. Mrs. Standish in Washington didn't like Tess much, even after Tess bribed her with chocolate caramel goodies. Tess found Jack looking out his office window, brooding. He turned. His face softened when he saw her, but didn't perk up as much as Tess would have hoped. Daniel said you stopped by. Jack rolled his eyes annoyed that Daniel would tell on him.
2: Did he get beat up a lot as a kid? That's what always happened to Tattlers when I was in school.
1: I don't know. I didn't know Daniel then. She studied him. She had seen him mad before. But there was something different this time. It was unsettling. It's not like you to go off like that. What's going on?
2: Haven't you seen the paper?
1: He nodded toward the folded-up newspaper on his desk. Yes. He waited for her to say more. I don't believe that's what this is
3: about. What do you care about gossip? His face darkened.
2: It's not just me that gets hurt in gossip, Tess. The Senator, Lauren, and Philip were here this morning worried about the reputation of the company. Brad called about the same thing.
1: Tess began to feel sorry for Jack.
2: But you, the one person who has a right to be mad, you don't care.
1: Huh? What are you talking about?
2: I left you last night to help live, and you're completely indifferent about it.
3: Wait a minute. You're mad at me because I'm not mad at you about last night?
2: I can feel you moving away from me, Tess. You've always had one foot out the door in this relationship, waiting for me to mess up and prove that you shouldn't trust your heart.
1: He had to be joking. Except the fierce look in his eyes told her differently. I did tell you last night before you went that you shouldn't go. So what would
3: be the use of rehashing it after the fact, especially since you would accuse me of being jealous?
2: So you just gave up on us?
3: I didn't give up on us. Just on the argument. I can't believe this is why you're so angry. If you want to be mad at someone, Jack, look in the mirror. You knew what you were doing last night. You brought this on yourself.
2: Is that your version of I told you so?
3: Yes, it is. I can't win here. If I speak up, you think I'm jealous. If I don't speak up, you think I'm indifferent. What do you want from me?
1: He turned away. I don't know. Tess's heart dropped. He didn't know what he wanted from her. The shoe she'd been waiting to drop was now dangling precariously, ready to fall at any moment. And then what would she do? She knew for a fact that it was hard to go through the motions of life with a broken heart. But what motions would she go through? She had no job, no house. She'd become completely dependent on him— Despite the fact that she'd promised herself she'd never let that happen again, he turned back to her, his eyes more tortured than angry.
2: I can deal with negative press. I can manage the Senator and Lauren. But Tess, I need to know I have you.
1: Tess nearly sobbed in relief. The few seconds of waiting for him to tell her to leave left her weak, and she stumbled to find a chair.
2: Are you all right?
1: I thought you were done with me. She thought the tension was over, but she'd been wrong. In an instant, his eyes were stormy and dark.
2: Of course you'd think that,
1: he snapped.
2: It's insulting how you keep looking for ways that I'll hurt you.
1: No. She shook her head, working to get her bearings again. I
3: admit our relationship scares the hell out of me, but I'm not looking for reasons to end it. I let my fear get the best of me once, and it was a mistake. I almost lost you.
2: And yet you just thought I was leaving you.
1: I misunderstood. They both fell silent, giving Tess time to reflect on the night before and the conversation they were having now. The unsettling feelings she'd had while waiting for him to come back from Liv's returned. Only now she began to understand them. The dependence on him was part of it. But so was the fact that she was living with a man after committing herself to celibacy. Jack had turned her life completely upside down, and while she was happy about it, it also terrified her and made her feel vulnerable. Do you know we've only been on one date?
2: Jack stared at her, wondering where the hell that question came from. I've taken you out plenty of times.
3: We went on one date, and then I was staying with you.
2: Your house burnt down, he pointed out. Where else were you going to go?
3: I had plenty of other places to go.
2: He knew she meant Daniel, which only irked him more.
3: But I went with you.
2: For how long? Don't think I don't know that you plan to leave when your house is done, despite the fact that you know I want you to stay.
3: I don't think we're ready for me to stay.
2: Jack felt his heart tear. Here it was. She'd been denying it, and yet here it was. She was getting ready to bolt again. He pushed away the urge to beg, and instead welcomed the anger. Because I didn't take you on dates?
3: You're mocking me.
2: I'm trying to understand why, after all this time, you don't love me enough to trust me.
3: I do trust you, but I can't give you what you want. Not right now. I... I think I should move out.
2: His heart completely split. So that's it? One little bump in the road and you're dumping me again?
3: No. I love you, and I want to be in a relationship with you. But I can't give you more than that. Not right now.
2: He sought her soul through her eyes, desperate to understand what she was saying. You love me but can't live with me? She nodded.
3: I need more time to learn how to be in a relationship, for us to know each other better. I didn't know you were afraid to fly. That seems like something I should know.
2: He turned away and ran his fingers through his hair. She felt she didn't know him, and right now he was proving it to her. He knew he was overdoing it by going to Daniel and then picking a fight with her, but damn it, he could feel her slipping away. And the more he reached for her, the farther away she drifted. His only recourse now was to show her that she did know him. My favorite color is green. Not that light green, but dark green. I like alternative rock music, and besides chocolate, my favorite food is tater tots. I don't like to fly. I never have, but I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling out of the sky. I knew I was in love with you within the first five minutes of meeting you, and he took a deep breath, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. At first her expression reminded him of the first time he told her he loved her, horror. But then she smiled. I don't know your favorite color, he added, but you love old R&B music and have a French underwear fetish, which I totally support and appreciate. You have legitimate fear of love which I'm doing everything I can to alleviate. The fear, not the love. And you love me, I know you do. Tess nodded.
3: My favorite color is whatever your eyes are.
2: It wasn't what he wanted to hear, and yet, he could feel the panic start to dissipate.
3: And I love you more than I ever thought was possible. Then stay. Last night, when you said I was indifferent?
2: He nodded, wishing they didn't have to revisit that part of the conversation.
3: I was unsettled, but I didn't know why. But now, I do. I'm not ready to live with you. We've taken the fast track in this relationship, and it's too fast for me.
2: He tried to understand what she was saying, but couldn't. To him, it was so clear that they were meant to be together. If she'd just stop for a second and allow her heart to guide her, she'd know it too.
3: My fear of love is like your fear of flying. It's not rational, but it's there and jumping into living together and committing to a life together won't cure that fear any more than you going skydiving will cure your fear of flying.
2: Jack didn't like that her analogy made sense. She was resistant, but all his pulling wasn't helping.
3: And the other issue is that I've let myself become totally dependent on you.
2: And that's bad?
3: It unsettles me and makes me feel vulnerable. That won't go away either, until I do something about it
2: and get a job. He hadn't meant it to sound so terse, but if her work was the only thing keeping her from loving him, then he wanted her to fix it. I'm sorry, I'm frustrated, I can't lose you.
3: I don't want to lose you either. I'm not ending things. I just want to slow them down. You are more sure of yourself and your feelings, more impulsive. I'm not.
2: He could see the conviction in her eyes and he had to trust that by moving out, she would find her way back to him where will you go?
3: A hotel. It's completely neutral with no distractions.
2: He nodded and hoped he didn't show the relief at her not choosing to stay with Daniel's parents, Helen and Tom. That would have been the obvious choice as they were like parents to her. But Helen had never warmed to Jack. He wasn't sure if it was because he'd ended any chance for Daniel to be with Tess or if it was because he was Helen's illegitimate stepbrother. And what about us?
3: I want what we'd have if my house hadn't burnt down. You come see me. I go see you. To date? It could be fun.
2: It would be more fun if you were at my place, and it would allow us to get to know each other faster.
3: I know this is hard for you and you think I'm using it as an excuse, but I'm not Jack.
2: She stood and went to him. She rested her palms on his chest.
3: I promise. I want all that you've promised me. All that you want for our future. But I can't give you that until I get my life in order and ease my way into it. Tell me you understand.
2: I understand. He slid his arms around her, wanting to hold her as he agreed to let her go. I don't like it, but I understand it. He dipped his head and captured her lips in a hard, desperate kiss. He wondered if she could feel his frustration, his fear. I'm not sure I can let you go.
3: It's not goodbye.
2: When can I see you?
3: I'm free for dinner tonight.
2: He nodded. He wanted so much more than a dinner date. As he looked into her whiskey-colored eyes, he could see she wanted to give him more. He held on to that.
1: Tess sat at the table in her room at the Jefferson Inn looking out the window, but not seeing the busy, historic downtown mall. She was discouraged. She was supposed to be filling out a questionnaire to help her identify the perfect career, but she wasn't able to answer the questions. What did you want to be as a child? Free of my parents. What is your passion now? Chocolate, couture underwear, and Jack. How was this program supposed to help her find a job based on that? She might be able to find better answers, but her mind couldn't let go of the image of Jack as she left his office. He said he understood, but she could see she hurt him. She knew deep down moving out was the right decision. She needed to get her life together before she could give him more. But every minute since leaving his office, packing her things at his house, and closing the door of her hotel room, it felt wrong. She wished she could think of an alternative, but her mind was blank. All she could do was work out her life as quickly as possible. She turned back to the computer. List qualities that describe you. Heartbreaker. Uncommitted. Her phone chirped and she lunged at it, grateful for the distraction. The caller ID let her know it was Daniel.
4: I stopped by the house, but you weren't there. Where are you? I want to talk to you about these notes you sent over.
1: Tess sighed and hoped that Daniel wouldn't gloat when he discovered where she was. I'm at the Jefferson Inn.
4: In the restaurant or in a room?
1: Room. There was silence on his end of the phone.
4: Can I see you?
1: Yes. She gave him the number. He told her he'd be there in a few minutes, and they clicked off. Her relief that he hadn't pressed her on the phone was short-lived. He would ask her what was up when he arrived. True to his word, he arrived quickly. It's not what you think. She opened the door to let him in.
4: So what is it?
1: Tess explained her need to get her bearings and her discomfort at being so dependent on Jack. Daniel's expression was as confused as Jack had been.
4: Jack's okay with this?
1: He doesn't like it, but says he
3: understands. Or at least he'll give me the time I need. But I hate that it hurt him, especially today. He's had a rough day.
4: He could have easily avoided it.
1: Daniel rolled his eyes. He knows that. Daniel studied her for a moment.
4: Well, as long as you're all right.
1: She nodded. I'm fine. What did you want to go over with me? He took a seat at the table while Tess pushed her laptop aside.
4: I called Charles's brother in New York. He's head of the family company now. I asked him if he was investing in horses with Charles, and he said no. He also said that Charles was on an allowance, a really good allowance, but not quite enough to cover the horses he wanted to buy.
3: So it had to be a business venture, like the trainer thought.
4: Right, except we don't know what venture. The brother made it sound like he and Charles weren't close. He said Charles was always odd on his own. The only thing he'd ever shown any real emotion for was horses.
3: Everyone else says that, too. Tess
1: verified.
4: And according to your notes about Wilson, that deal hasn't produced any money yet.
1: Tess shook her head. He hoped to have the first homes for
3: sale next spring. I want to do a little more research on the project, though.
4: Why? Did Wilson say something else?
3: No, but business partnerships, particularly when construction is involved, can have all sorts of problems. I doubt there is anything to it, but I'll check it out anyway.
4: You didn't talk to Boone.
1: He wasn't there. I'll try to catch him again another time. Daniel's phone rang. I've got to go, he said after taking the call.
4: Do you need anything?
3: No, the goal is to have some quiet time to get my head straight.
4: So I guess dinner is out of the question.
3: I'm having dinner with Jack. He sighed.
4: Right. Well, call if you need anything.
3: I will. Thank you.
2: Chapter 8 Jack adjusted his tie and checked his mood as he stood outside of Tess's hotel room door. It had been a bad day all around. Getting home and seeing her side of the closet empty didn't make it any better. He had to pull it together. He didn't like that she moved out, but he knew he had to be supportive to have any chance of a future with her. So he'd do things her way, starting with an official date. Hey you, he said when she opened the door. He tried for casual to hide the wave of need that nearly had him grabbing her. He presented her with the vase full of flowers he picked up on the way over. I couldn't get tulips. I hope roses will do.
3: Jack. They're gorgeous.
2: And this. He held out a blue box of specialty chocolates.
3: Chocolate and flowers. It's a little early for Valentine's Day.
2: Jack grinned. Every day is Valentine's Day with me. She smiled.
3: Oh yeah, I forgot.
2: She took the vase and chocolate. One more thing. He wrapped his arm around her waist. He'd promised himself he'd be hands-off, but it turned out he had no willpower where she was concerned. He dipped his head and kissed her.
3: Bittersweet.
2: He gave her a boyish grin, pleased that kissing wasn't off-limits. I had a piece of the chocolate on the way here. You've got 70% cocoa in there. He pointed to her box. Yum. She gave him another kiss.
3: You didn't have to get all this.
2: Sure I did. We're dating. That's what people do on dates. She set the flowers and chocolate on the table and retrieved her sweater.
3: Where are you taking me?
2: Since we're on the mall, I thought we'd go to Marco's.
3: Italian sounds good.
2: He took her hand as they walked. Jack still didn't like that she wouldn't be coming home with him, but he had to admit there was something nice about walking hand-in-hand on a date.
3: Isn't it warm out for a tie?
2: She asked as the waiter led them to a seat outside. I'm out to impress. He helped her to her seat, kissing her temple before moving to sit in his own seat. Jack? Hmm?
3: does this feel awkward?
2: What do you mean? He glanced up from the menu to look at her.
3: This new situation. There is a formality about it with the flowers, chocolate and tie that makes it feel like I may have put some distance between us.
2: Jack scooted his chair closer to her and put his arm around her. How's this for closer? She laughed.
3: You know what I mean.
2: Yes, I know what you mean. He indulged himself by playing with a tangle of her hair. And no, I don't think it's awkward. I don't intend to act differently. Well, that's not true. I'm going to try to be a gentleman when I bring you home. Other than that, I think we can act the same.
3: Good. I want us to be the same.
2: They ordered drinks and Jack told her about his pisser of a day leaving out the worst part when she left him. He could see she felt bad about how her leaving made him feel. Not bad enough to change her mind, but at least she understood. What did you get done today?
3: I took an online quiz to find out what career path I should follow.
2: Jack nearly laughed. Computers could do a lot of things, but identifying one's life's purpose wasn't one of them. And what did the computer tell you?
3: Detective or designer.
2: Really? Intrigued, he sat back, resting his arms on the table. Detective, like Eve Dallas, can I be Rourke? He said, referring to her favorite mystery series.
3: No, you have to be Jack, and I don't want to be a detective.
2: You'd be good at it. You have an eye for details.
3: If I was a detective, I'd end up working with Daniel.
2: That was a horrifying thought. You could go private.
3: No. It just doesn't call to me.
2: How does a designer fit? She shrugged.
3: I don't know. The underwear, I guess.
2: Did you know my career started when I was nearly arrested for hacking into the D.C. police computers?
3: No. Maybe I should restart my legal practice after all.
2: He laughed at her comment, although there'd been nothing funny about his start as a hacker. I was 12. I wanted to find out what happened to my dad. All my mom was told was that he was killed by a drug dealer in the line of duty, but the details were always vague. Fortunately, some of the officers who'd been friends of my dad protected me and paid me to show them how I did it so they could protect their system.
3: So you got started as a hacker?
2: See, I am like Rourke, starting on the wrong side of the law but coming clean for the woman I love. Tess rolled her eyes, but he could tell she was amused. I love the puzzle computers can solve, he explained. I made a fortune before I even went to college, and I still love testing the limits of what computers can do.
3: Funny, you don't look like a geek.
2: It's my disguise. The point I'm making is that you need to find something you love. And if law isn't it, then you need to find something else.
3: I don't know what that is or where to start.
2: He hated how lost she looked, especially since part of her reasoning for leaving him was because she was dependent on him. She needed a new career path if he was going to get her back into his home. Personally, I think you have a future in edible chocolate underwear, but I might eat your profits. Her cheeks flushed, and she sent him a coy smile suggesting the image flashing in her mind was the same as his. He might get lucky tonight after all. They had a lovely dinner, and as promised, he escorted her back to her hotel room. Even with the same banter and affection, he wasn't sure he should push his luck by asking if he could stay. He said he'd support her by giving her time, moving slowly to get know each other better, so he stuck by his plan to leave her at the door. I had a good time. He smiled at the old cliché. I did too. He gave her a firm but brief kiss on the lips. I'll see you tomorrow. Her brows pulled together and Jack wondered if she had wanted more than a goodnight peck. Taking a chance, he pulled her into his arms. You're killing me, you know that, don't you? He nibbled on her ear as he pressed the proof of his discomfort against her belly. This is difficult for me, not the courting, the being away. Yes, she whispered. Me too. He looked down into her eyes and could see the proof. He nearly asked why she was continuing if it was making her miserable too but he checked himself. He promised to give her space and he was going to honor the promise. I love you, Tess. He kissed her again with as much tenderness and love as he could pour into it. I'll see you tomorrow. She nodded.
1: Tomorrow. Tess sat in the chair at the tiny table in her hotel room and tried to remind herself why she'd suggested this separation. She didn't want it really, but she knew she needed it to get her life straight. The timing was bad because she knew when the news of her moving to the hotel got out, everyone would think something was going on between Jack and Liv. She supposed there was something going on, since he insisted on helping her. But it wasn't what everyone would assume. To a certain extent, it was Liv's fault that Tess left, but only because the situation helped her see why she was stuck. And it showed that she and Jack had a lot to learn before they could take their relationship further. Jack's loyalty had him sticking by Liv, but Tess worried that whether on purpose or by dumb luck, Liv had dragged Jack into a murder, and Tess couldn't stand by and watch the police circle around him again. In fact, she thought, as she picked up her briefcase, no time like the present to dig deeper into the case. Tess was a visual person and preferred mapping out her facts and ideas. She spread the papers over the table and bed and pulled out her notepad. Time of death was the glaring issue in this case. Liv couldn't have murdered her husband when she was in New York. Knowing she couldn't do anything about the forensic facts, Tess opted to look at the motive, which was fairly weak, too. Liv lived very well as Mrs. Danforth. A prenup prevented her from getting anything more in a divorce than they'd agreed upon. Charles's inheritance wouldn't go to Liv either, if Daniel's information was correct. The will stipulated that Liv would get an allowance that was much smaller than what she likely had been living on, and the rest of the money would go to his children. Liv and Charles didn't have children together, but Charles had a son from a previous marriage, so all Liv was getting was a small allowance and the life insurance. Tess pulled out the information about the insurance, bought three weeks before the murder. $500,000 was a sizable sum but would likely be peanuts to someone living as richly as Liv did. And most insurance murders were set up to look like accidents, not outright murder. Still, it was always suspicious when an insurance policy was bought so close to a death. So maybe it wasn't money that motivated the murder. Jealousy? Three shots point-blank into the heart is an indication of a strong emotion. But Liv seemed to be the only one cheating— unless there was something between Charles and Teresa Cromwell. His business partner, Bobby Wilson, seemed to think there may have been other women as well. Liv admitted to affairs, the last one with Jack. But then, all of a sudden, over a year ago, she stopped cheating? Even Jack didn't buy that. The other questions that ran through Tess's mind were not in the file. Why had Liv called Jack after they hadn't been in touch for nearly a year? Was she purposefully bringing him into the mix because he'd been recently implicated in another murder? Or was it just chance? Jack's certainty that Liv was innocent said something about that relationship. Tess tried to ignore the jealousy the thought brought. Liv didn't seem to have too much depth, but she gave him something he'd needed when he'd needed it most. Not wanting to think any more about it, Tess put her papers away and got ready for bed. Tess woke. Surprised she'd gotten any sleep. The bed was uncomfortable, and the air conditioning went on in the middle of the night, making her dream she was trapped at the North Pole. When she turned over to get warm, she was reminded that her usual source of heat wasn't there. Rolling out of bed, she contemplated whether to go to the hotel gym for a workout or go over the files again before meeting with Daniel. She really should work out. She hadn't run or done any cardio work for a couple of weeks. How she wasn't spilling over the waistband of her pants, she didn't know. Unless it was true that sex was a good workout. Her cheeks heated as she thought about all the different positions and places she and Jack had made love. A rap on the door stole her from her reverie. She peeked through the keyhole to find Jack holding up a cup with the local Java Joint's label. Good morning. He smiled. Good morning. This is a surprise. How could he be so cheerful? she wondered. Didn't he spend a hellish night without her? Then she realized she must look a mess. She hadn't even combed her mop of curls.
2: I come bearing gifts.
1: He stepped in, giving her a quick kiss on the cheek. I like gifts.
2: I have a skinny mocha and a scone.
1: Hmm, sounds lovely. What else? She nodded toward the plane bag he carried as well.
2: Cocoa crunchies and whole milk.
1: She rolled her eyes. Someday that stuff will kill you.
2: No, cereal is now made with whole grain and less sugar.
1: She laughed. I guess you're right. She cleared a place on the table for him to set the bags down. She started to sit, but he pulled her to him.
2: Just a minute.
1: He kissed her long and well. Tess sank into the kiss, letting him take what he wanted.
2: It's hell being away from you, Tess.
1: He whispered in her ear. Jack. I... No. He placed a finger on her plump lips.
2: Let me finish. I want to be with you, but I want you to be sure.
3: It's not that.
2: You're interrupting, Counselor. Sorry. What I don't want is Liv to be the reason you're having doubts. I don't think Liv killed her husband, but I don't want this difference of opinion to ruin a good thing.
1: The giddiness of the kiss melted away into annoyance. So you're going to patronize me? She saw confusion in his eyes.
2: No, I was thinking I would let it drop. She's not worth losing you over.
3: First of all, this separation isn't about Liv. The only thing Liv did was show us that we aren't ready for a big commitment.
2: You. You aren't ready for a big commitment.
3: Second, I don't need you to drop your feelings or opinions just because you think I can't handle them, or so you can be the peacemaker.
1: Jack turned away, stalking through the small room.
2: Damn it, Tess, why do you have to twist everything I say? I'm telling you it's killing me to be away from you, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it work, and you turn it into something against you, and you think I'm narcissistic.
1: Tess drew back as if she'd been slapped. He stalked back to her.
2: Am I the only one who can't sleep because the emptiness is unbearable? I'm tired of feeling pathetic over you, Tess.
1: So stop. He dropped his face within inches of hers.
2: And how am I supposed to stop?
1: Tess looked into his magnificent blue-green eyes, into the soul of a man who wore his heart on his sleeve. She placed her palm on his cheek. Don't stop. The eyes that held her gaze maintained their irritation until he stepped back.
2: Why don't we have some breakfast?
1: That was the other thing about Jack. He could change gears on a dime. If he wanted to let the issue go... She was okay with that. After all, she hadn't even had any of the mocha yet. Do you mind if I take a quick shower first? He shrugged. I'll be right back. Tess showered quickly, thinking about what he said. She realized that she might have overreacted. Throughout their entire relationship, Jack had done the heavy lifting, always making the first move. She could at least meet him halfway and trust he'd be there. She entered the room wrapped in a towel. He looked up, and his eyes narrowed. Still mad? She sorted through her suitcase to find something to wear. No. She glanced at him over her shoulder. You look mad.
2: I'm trying to do the right thing, but you're standing there wet and naked.
1: She looked down at her towel. Right. I'll be right back. She grabbed her clothes and went back into the bathroom. When she returned... Jack had set the table and even put the flowers he'd brought her the night before in the center as decor. This looks lovely. She sat. He took the chair across from her. The annoyance and frustration remained in his handsome features. I... Tess was interrupted by Jack's cell phone ringing. Sorry. He glanced at the caller ID and poked the answer button.
2: What will get her out?
1: Tess could only assume Lauren Worthington was causing problems again.
2: Call security. I'll be right there.
1: He hung up the phone and stood.
2: I'm sorry, I have to run. Lauren? Yes.
1: Tess nodded. I understand. He leaned down and gave her a quick kiss, then looked at her for a moment. She gave him a meek smile. He smiled back, but it didn't reach his eyes or his dimple. The door closed with a thud that echoed in her heart. He wasn't the type of man who usually held on to grudges— So why was he still mad? On the other hand, she'd angered him and then turned him on. She'd be cranky, too. Perhaps it was her turn to take action. She headed to the phone to call his secretary to set a lunch date.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode from Tales from the Heart. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out What happens next? Are Jack and Tess going to be able to successfully navigate this seemingly temporary separation as Tess gets her bearings in her life straight? And what is going to happen in the investigation on Liv and the murder of her husband? Remember, you can listen to full uncensored episodes over at reamstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. And if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying it direct from me. All the details and links that you might need are just a click away in the description below. Now, don't miss the next episode. Hit the subscribe button so you'll know when it's posted. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love and happily ever after.